during um their their contest their grand finale they also prayed like that but unfortunately this year it didn't happen so some of the students are actually blaming um their defeat to the students in like school who did not pray for the contestants backwards so <laughs> that also happened in um Prepper college. college thank <laughs> you very much gentlemen the god of nsmq you have that <laughs> On that note, we end Sunday edition here on Draw 99.7 FM. My name is Maxwell Ababa. It's a new week. Go out there and make some positive changes. On the other news team, let's enjoy the new week. Bye-bye. Welcome to Springboard, your virtual university. My name is Albert Okran. Welcoming you on behalf of Team Springboard, led by Comfort. This is your most inspirational show and that place where the greatest minds in the world converge. Springboard is brought to you by the Springboard Roadshow Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse, Just Be, the Enterprise Group, Enterprise Your Advantage, UMB Bank, celebrating 50 years in banking and Central University, Ghana's premier private Christian university. Our media partners, the multimedia group, and the graphic business. Today we continue our leadership conversations, and it's my honor to welcome someone I've known and admired for years, the recently appointed General Superintendent of the Assemblies of God Church, Reverend Dr. Stephen Yenusom Wengam. Dr. Wengam, good to see you. I'm honored to be here on this um, prime show. <laughs> it's a blessing, sir. And let me start by congratulating you on your appointment. We all got extremely, extremely excited about it, sir. Thank you very much and glory to God. Amen, amen, <laughs> amen. So I, I love Theophorus' names. Mm. What was the meaning of Yenusom? I like it. Yenusom. Yeah. What does it mean? Right. I hail from the northeastern part of Ghana, um, Bumprugu, Nakpanduri um, district. Okay. And um, we, our language is Bimoba, okay. and Yenuso means God's help. Okay. My dad was an orphan. He really went through hard times. He came down to Accra as a hustler, and then the Lord was gracious to him. He got a good job at my oil refinery. So when he married and had his first son, he, he, he told that um, to... To show gratitude to God and to indicate how God has been helpful, he named me Yenusum, meaning God's help. Would you say that that the name is a reflection of your life? Excellently, perfectly. Um, all through my life, I've seen God, God's intervention, God's help um, in many ways. People have testified to that effect. I get to certain stages of my life, things are very difficult, the battle is tough, some way, somehow, suddenly, strangely, there's an open door. So I would say that the name has worked for me. Would you subscribe to the idea that parents must be very careful in the names they give their children? Perfect. I very much agree. Um, if you look at scriptures, um, um, the, uh, the fathers of our faith were very intentional. Look at Joseph, look at Jacob. Um, they gave names that reflected their circumstances and especially names that acknowledge the goodness of God, the mercies of God, the favor of God. So, and I think looking at our culture, especially the Ghanaian culture, it aligns with the Jewish tradition. Uh, so you see a couple of our, our tribes who, who uh, follow that style and tradition of giving names that reflect their circumstances, even though sometimes in my, in my tribe it can be very funny. It can also get extreme, where um, uh, people can give names to spite 
they are supposed enemies. <laughs> you see the other side. Perfect. Okay. So, Doc, I'm, I'm very curious about leadership. Mm. And I find that any time I have a guest and we sit down to talk about leadership, they bring very unique perspectives to the conversation. Which biblical character would you like us to model on? Thank you. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is David. Okay. I'm, I'm never tired teaching about David. David, because he's one of the greatest leaders of all times. Um, secondly, he had to surmount serious hurdles to, to succeed in his leadership tenure. For example, he was the least in his father's family. He was forgotten when God sent Samuel to go and anoint a new king. He, I mean, Jesse brought out um, his elder brothers who were in the army, who were better educated. Uh, David was in the bush caring for the sheep. In fact, some theologians even believe that David's mother, he was born out of wedlock. And then again, David, we all know, had moral failure. He, he had an affair with somebody's wife and murdered the husband of that woman. Uh, and yet he was able to surmount um, this hurdle. And not only that, we also see how David, at the time of his death in Acts 13, 36, the Bible says he served his generation well. Um, he was heavily endorsed by God as a man after God's own heart in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. And then finally, my choice of David because he handed over to a worthy successor. Mm-hmm. Because leadership is not successful until you've been able to hand over or raise a successor who will be able to build on your foundation and, and continue leading the institutional organization to achieve its goals and aspirations. Okay, we'll be, we'll be coming down to your own journey. What, what we'll try to do today is look at your own journey and then find out how some of these principles you allude to from the life of David have influenced you as a person, as a leader. So today's conversation will be about your leadership principles and your journey. So let's start from the beginnings. Mm. Growing up, what, what was your experience like? Um, if there is anything like born leaders, you know, it's, it's, it's in, in leadership circles, there's been a debate. Some believe leaders are born, others believe leaders are made. I go for a hybrid. Um, if there's anything like lead, born leaders, probably I may fit into that. My reason is all through my life from childhood, everywhere I find myself, some way, somehow, I, I find myself leading the group or um, wherever I find myself. My parents gave birth to four children. Unfortunately, uh, my parents lost my siblings. So three of my siblings all died. Sorry about that. And I'm the only surviving the child of my parents. So um, you can imagine they were very jealous of me, but also determined to raise me um, to become a good, a good person. So they had to, and that's why I really respect my parents. They had to combine love. You don't drive love to the extreme where you, you overpamper the child and end up, as we say in our local parlance, spoiling the child. Mm. My parents were strong disciplinarians. And um, at the very early age, people will testify that um, behave well among people. So I will say that um, it began from childhood. My parents always inculcated those leadership qualities in me. They would tell me, when you go out, you can't do this. You can't do this because your friends are doing it. You must be different. And for me, that is where my leadership training began. Probably they thought they were just raising me to be a nice person. But those values I cherish because they were leadership qualities that has helped me over the years. So parental influence helped shape your values as a person. What are the what are the top three values that you, as a person and a leader, find yourself gravitating towards? You will find you you have many, but which will be randomly? Which will be your top three? Integrity. Okay. My parents emphasize that those days. I mean, every child you had your bad moments. Once or twice, I stole meat from the soup. I didn't have it easy. I can imagine. And being the only child, so you see, you, you, you couldn't deny. But who else? 
my mother did not only discipline me, but sat me down and spoke to me, advised me. As a teenager, my dad would tell me that sex will destroy a potential and an aspiring leader. He kept saying that to me. So integrity was key. They would tell me that you have to be who you are. Mm. You don't have to pretend. And they always demand accountability. So integrity is one. And tied to that is um, being ethical. Yeah, that's one of my very strong values. Okay. Um, ethical, yes, um, in terms of doing, uh, being morally sound and then also paying attention to how to behave in the public space. Mm. You know, principles that guide interpersonal relationships, how, do you, how you carry yourself. People define you by first impression. And it's something that really very harm. And then probably the third, um, uh, that is, is vision. Okay. Vision. Um, I've, I've always believed in anywhere, even no matter the, the, where I find myself leading, even if it's a small group, whatever it is, I always want to take off by trying to um, introduce what my vision is, get people to buy into it, and wanting to make sure that during that period of providing leadership, we run with that vision. So, for example, in my local church, Cedar Mountain Chapel, East Lebanon Assemblies of God, when we turn five, we launch a five-year strategic plan. And that actually gave birth to our current um, temple and a lot of things we are doing. We turn and I, and I must tell you that it's a beautiful facility. Thank I, you. I, 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 as you. As you as you will recall, I, mm. I, I was honored to be part of your 50th bed. And that's another congratulations for you. I think it's a double one. <laughs> 50, 50 years of your life. And I happened to be there for the leadership summit. And touring the facility, I was mm. very, very impressed. Not just by the part that is above the ground, but by the underground as well. <laughs> very beautiful facility. Well done, sir. I know it's, it's still faces, faces of, the, of the program, but it's very, very beautifully done. Yeah. Right. So you're talking about leadership and you're seeing vision and inculcating your vision is very big for you. That's right. Let's move on to ministry. Mm. When did you get a sense that you would be a pastor? How early? Well, let me start from here. My parents told me that during my child christening, the late Reverend J.C. Theta of Blessed Memory, according to them, some way, somehow, they found themselves paying attention to the line of prayer. Mm. And they could deduce from the line of... The prayer was quite prophetic. Um, they had the sense that I'll be a pastor. Now, growing up, I, I had this strong love for my pastors, Reverend Tete. We lived opposite the church. And between four and five, my mom tells me that the slightest chance I get, I will sneak to the parsonage. You know, those days, the parsonage, the pastor lived, I mean, very close to the church premises. Then the next pastor, Reverend Amponsa, I will always insist I won't go and spend vacation with him. And then when any time I was with my peers, that was between six and um, to my teenage age, I will tell them I am a pastor. And then I'll begin to mimic my pastor. I will begin to say I'm a preacher, begin to preach to them. Um, and all through, so for me, at that tender age, the desire to become a pastor had mad pastor so much. And I would say that that was a time I, I, I felt the call, and, call of God and hand of God upon my life. Between the point where the early inklings began and the point where you actually became a pastor, tell me about some of the dynamics. Um, so in school, they called me a sophomore because... I've always been preaching to them. Uh, preparatory school, um, we had a group that one of our teachers formed, a group called Good News Club, uh, the type of scripture union. Right. And I was made the president. Myself and Dr. Ejapon, Zoom Lion, were classmates okay. in preparatory school. And both of us received Holy Spirit baptism the same day. Oh, great. Because the teacher took us through um, the teachings of the Holy Spirit. And... Um, Temas Secondary School, I'm a product of Temas Secondary School. I was school prefect, SU president, and I used to preach in buses. So I would say that I had that desire 
to do ministry was there. It drove me into doing personal evangelism, um, group meetings. I will avail myself to speak. I stayed with one of my pastors, the late Reverend Stephen Amponsa, and God used him to do something he probably wasn't conscious of. He loved my handwriting. I used to spend vacation with him. So after he has prepared the sermon, he will give it to me to, um, what is it, to, to, to rewrite it for him. Okay. That was when I learned... There were no iPads then. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) This was in the early 90s. Okay. That was where I learned homiletics. So I remember one day, a pastor, his guest preacher, disappointed him. And he asked me to speak. I was then about to enter university. So he was like, Steve, who taught you homiletics? I said... Your sermons. Your sermons. I have been copying it for you because, you know... Where I have the, my, the title, my introduction, my point, my subpoint, my conclusion. Yeah, so some of these things were the, the events that prepared me and gradually led me to the point where I, 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 I thought indeed I was called and I yielded. Let's talk about adversity, something that many do not get to find out because. Mm-hmm. Somebody will see you and say, wow, general superintendent, very big title. Mm -hmm. Help us to appreciate some of the uncertain moments, the difficult moments on the road to even becoming a pastor, a minister, known and celebrated. Help us appreciate the tough moments. Reverend Albert, um, thank you for this question. As I mentioned, I'm the only surviving child of my parents. My family had to survive a stigma. People called my parents, my mother, they said my mother was a witch because how can you give birth to four children and lose the three? Sorry about that. Um, but then years later, for example, one woman, a friend, my mother tells me her own friend, she, when she, uh, there were three, one of them wasn't having a child. The other said she wasn't having a child because there was concrete in her stomach. Mm. You know, so my mother suffered that kind of stigma. And then um, one of the times that got at me, there were two incidents that got me very emotional. A, a colleague of mine in the university after school, I started pastoring a church. Then I married first. He was going to marry. He told me that he would not allow the pastor of his wife to bless the marriage because the pastor didn't have a child. And that if, if, the pastor laid hands on him. He would transfer the spirit of barrenness. Now, you are talking to somebody who had been married for a couple of years without a child. So what are you insinuating? Mm. Um, I, also, I also remember um, another incident. My wife will go for even pastor's wife's meeting. And other pastor's wives will insinuate. I remember a relation of mine one time. Um, passed a comment saying that look at Pastor Wengam, instead of giving birth, he's wearing big suits. I mean, these are horrible comments that if you hear, uh, there were times I had to shut myself in a room, weep before the Lord. Then another instance, you know, I, I'm the radio pastor for CDFM and we have this annual event, family consecration, where one particular year, the Lord put a prophecy on my lips and I declared it. I said God was going to give 500 babies, and I heard from the Lord, and I prophesied it. And here, and it happened. I mean, that particular year, within one year, people gave testimonies 20 years of marriage, 16 years of marriage, and here you are. <laughs> I, I was going to come to that, that I, ha- I have a feeling that in the same period you were trusting God for yours, you were blessing people who were getting theirs. Serious. Tell me, you are a pastor, tell me, why does God do that? I think. Second Corinthians 12, um, when the Lord took the Apostle Paul to the third heavens, and then the Bible says to keep him humble, he put a thorn in his flesh. He had asked the Lord to take it away three times, and the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient. God does that to, one, humble us, and to make us realize that our sufficiency is of him, and that it's not by might or not by power. 
He also does that to draw us closer to him. Affliction plays a key role in refining our character in bringing us to a place of total dependence on God. Reverend Albert Okran, I tell you, I cherish those 14 years. My mm. wife and I, today, we look back, and if we are ever to come back into this life, we'll choose that path. Mm. We learn some of the best lessons ever. We do closer. We bonded so well. And I remember one time, a young couple testified and said, Pastor Wengam, after our third year of marriage, we had no child. I was going to divorce my I was contemplating divorcing my wife. When I heard you have been married for 10 years without a child, I rescinded my decision. I said, praise God that God was using my affliction to, to minister to other people. Um, and then also when God begins to bless you, I mean, and in Africa, we always think that blessings, when they can't explain, people read their own meanings into it and i've i've had my fair share of being misrepresented people calling your names even leading to my my appointment you know you hear kinds of things but um i've learned that in, in leadership the journey to the top you 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 meet these things i've seen fathers in the land um who have suffered same so uh, it has encouraged me and then we soldier on when you look back at your journey as they say, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm. What kind of pastor have you become? I, I know what your people say at Cedar Mountain. I interacted with them in, the, in preparing for this interview, but what, what kind of pastor do you think you have become on this journey? Albert, I wish um, you would throw this question to my flock. <laughs> I, I, I have, and I have the answers, but let, let, me, let me ask you, looking at yourself, do you find that you think back on these experiences in making decisions on a daily basis? Yeah, I think it's made me a compassionate leader. Um, I hear my flock say that all the time. Um, if you look at some of the projects I'm doing now, we have a, my wife and I have this project for the vulnerable in the kingdom where we support retired pastors who are no longer in ministry and they're unable to take care of themselves, um, pastors' widows, during the COVID-19 um, lockdown, my wife and I supported close to 2,600 pastors who were in distress um, financially and in materially. So I would say that what I have gone through has helped me become more compassionate, more humane, and which I cherish and I'm glad um, uh, um, that God took me through that journey. I'm sure at the time you are going to, it wasn't funny. And I, I commend my wife. I commend. She's a strong woman. She's not the loud, you know, uh, very energetic in the open, very calm, but very strong. She really endured that 14 years. She carried herself so well. She showed leadership. She showed maturity. Um, she was able to ignore some of those um, comments and uh, until the Lord came through for us. What would be your message to somebody listening who says, so far, I'm going through some very, very painful moments that don't seem to... I mean, 14 years is not like three years. <laughs> For somebody listening out there who's saying, Pastor, I'm really going through some very difficult moments and the society is not helping, what would be your message to them? You see, you don't choose your battles. Mm. Your destiny and what God wants to accomplish with you will determine the kind of afflictions and challenges you will encounter. Mm. So um, if the battle is tough, it means that um, God is taking you to greater heights. So I will encourage you to be strong, be hopeful, don't cast away your confidence in God. Um, look for examples and then use it to encourage yourself. Your tough battles could be an indication of where God is taking you. So look for examples and use them to encourage yourself. This is the voice of Dr. Stephen Yenusom Wengam. I get to find out to you that Yenusom means God's help. And I'm aligning myself with him that God has helped me too. And God is helping all of us. We'll go for a break. When we come back, let's take David as a model in leadership and break down some of the lessons from the life of David and find out how much of them Dr. Wengam has been applying, probably without even thinking about David. Please don't go away. <laughs> 
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Escuchas ese rugido. Sientes la experiencia de poder, la emoción de la libertad. Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Hello. Yeah, valued customer. Hmm. Hey, Asamo. The entire customer service team is out for lunch. Please call back in four hours. What? Me nana be dia kona mama me bad service ano. Me kokra. Ah, nana. With bus from Enterprise D, you will love the customer service experience, Kiki. I'm available for you 24/7 on the Enterprise Advantage app, the Enterprise website, and on WhatsApp number 055-400-1924. Hello. Babs. Chat with Babs from Enterprise, your contact for insurance, pensions, funeral and property solutions from the Enterprise Group. Dream big with us. Enterprise, your advantage. <laughs> When you can be anything, who will you become? When you can go anywhere and never feel alone, how far will you go? When you have the means to make your dreams real, when will you start? When your voice can reach every ear, who will you inspire? When your money can travel faster and further than you ever could, Where will you send it? When you can tell a story in every language, which ones will you tell? When nothing can stop you, and everyone's behind you, and, and the, the whole, whole world, world awaits, awaits you. you. Don't go alone. Go with us. Everywhere, Everywhere you, you go. go. Aquaba, UMB is proud to offer you the best business solutions possible. We have been excelling in serving Ghana since 1972, and our sole interest is to make your business succeed. We are committed to making you to become number one in any sphere of business or enterprise you are pursuing. With our experience in growing some of the biggest SMEs in Ghana, we can support you become the business leader in Okaishi, Suami, Abusokai, or any of the SME enclaves in Ghana with our SME solutions. Our latest SME loans allows you to take a loan backed by the value of your cash flow and inventory so you can increase your trade efficiently. Speak to our business bankers or visit any of our branches now. UMB Bank you first. Welcome back to Springboard, your virtual university, and to this beautiful conversation with Dr. Stephen Yenisom Wengam, who's the General Superintendent of the Assemblies of God Church here in Ghana. He's been taking us through some very interesting lessons, and I'll share with you shortly what I've learned so far. Springboard is brought to you by the Springboard Ratio Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse, the Enterprise Group, UMB Bank, Central University, and with our media partners, the Multimedia Group and the Graphic Business. Dr. Wenkam has been sharing about the power of a name, Yenison meaning God's help, and encouraging us to choose names carefully. The second lesson is about David being one of the greatest leaders of all time because of the adversity he surmounted and the fact that at the end of his reign, he successfully handed over to a good successor. The third being leadership having held different leadership roles in the course of his life, even as a child. The fourth is about values. He says integrity, ethics, interpersonal relations, and vision are four foundational values in his life. The fifth is about ministry. Even the prayer at his christening gave an indication of the fact that he would be a pastor. And he says, right from his childhood, he would gather his friends and try and preach to them. And he was school prefect and SU president at Temasco. So it kind of ran all the way through. But I love the part about Reverend Amponsa, having to use your nice handwriting to learn homiletics. That was, that was very interesting. I think I love that one. Then the sixth was about adversity. And the part about the family 
stigma about losing all his three siblings. Somebody goes through a very painful family experience, and instead of being empathetic, we choose to rather make it a point of reference. And he talked about the fact that his own marriage, himself and his lovely wife, Monica, had to trust God for 14 years to have their own first child. And he says that made him a more compassionate leader. And for that reason, he reaches out to the vulnerable and ministers to them in various ways. The eight points about destiny, you say that the tough battles that a person faces is probably an indication of where God is taking them. And so find strength in other people who have gone through tough times and be encouraged by their example. Let's move on to David, who is cited as a role model for leadership. And I like the fact that you say it's not because he was even perfect. He had several flaws in his life, but he he surmounted all of them. Let's start from servant leadership, something that many management theorists talk about. What is your perspective on servant leadership, using David as a model? Thank you, Reverend Albert. Um, servant leadership is defined as striving to serve others, not trying to accrue power to control people. And uh, components or the attributes of servant leadership have been established as humility, teachability, um, caring for the people you lead, flexibility, and being trustworthy because leadership is about trust. Once your followers lose trust in the leader, once you give them room not to have confidence in you, you've lost it. So um, John Maxwell says that if you are a leader and nobody is following, then you are going for a walk. So servant leadership is key. And Jesus Christ epitomizes servant leadership. He came to serve. John 13, where he had to go on his knees and wash the feet of the disciples, even though some um, deem it as a prophetic action. But then if you want to go strictly by principles that guide biblical interpretation, it, it the, the lesson of that activity was to teach humility okay. and servant leadership. Do you think that this model of leadership you describe is a missing link in our world today? Yes. I mean, with with all humility, it's it's missing. Um, People are signing to leadership, and the focus and the understanding is different. Um, Some think that it is time to pay back those who didn't vote for them or who didn't like them. Some, it's a platform to amass wealth. Um, some for them is just to make a name and so they don't think legacy, they don't care they just occupy the seat for a period of time um, when, when I served as chairman of Ghana Pre-Service Council there was something I told myself and I kept telling the council members and the leadership of Ghana Prison. I said listen, what will you be remembered for? at one of our capacity building sessions I took this question and asked them the previous leaders who led you, what do you remember them for? And I I don't want to tell you what the outcome was. It got everybody thinking, realizing that it is easy to just go through the system and fizzle out, and nobody will associate anything with you. So servant leadership is, is a model that is so powerful that you leave an indelible imprint on your followers. They can't forget you. People can't forget love. A leader who cared for them, who was compassionate, who served them, who didn't dominate them. But let me issue this caveat. In our part of the world, when you begin to talk about this, then people are looking at a boss in the office who will not issue them with queries even when they come late, when they are lackadaisical. No. Um, a servant leader is firm, is tough, is guided by the core values, personal core values, and the values of the institution, but then very humane. Okay. Very understanding. So you're saying you can be tough, but still humane and compassionate and understanding, but right. still tough. Yes. I mean, well, God is an example. Right. Uh-huh. Let's go to the place of wisdom, mm. discretion, in making choices. Leadership is about making choices. That's right. What's the place of wisdom? Wisdom is key. 
My late boss, the late Reverend William Donto, I work closely with him. He's one of our former general superintendents. I was his administrator. And Reverend Albert, one day he came to the office. Normally when he comes, I'll give him about 30 minutes to settle down. He wants to read his Bible again and reflect. So then I will go in with the correspondences that are, are in, and then as administrator, show it to him, then he'll give direction. On this particular day, he, his head was buried in the Bible. He lifted his head and said, I should sit down. He said, Steve, I don't pray for anointing, I pray for wisdom. Why? I said, boss, can you come down? <laughs> come down to my level. <laughs> come down to my level. He smiled and said, wisdom is something the Bible says you must ask for it. If you don't ask, God will not give it to you. As for anointing, anointing is a function of prayer. Once you pray, you don't need to say, Lord, anoint me. Once you enter into prayer, you activate the anointing. Then he went further to say that that is why there are many anointed fools and made reference to Matthew 25, that there were 10 virgins, five were wise and five were stupid. Remember, all of them carried a lamp. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Mm. They had oil, the anointing. But yet, five were stupid. Five didn't have vision. Five didn't, didn't have wisdom. So they missed it. So for me, wisdom is everything a leader needs. Let me, let me wisdom is more important than money. Mm. Right. What, I'm just tempted by what you just said. What is the implication to a family, to a nation, to a business, to a global entity of having a leader who has power but no wisdom? Using the parable of the, of, the, of, the, of the virgins. That is, let me start with a corporate institution. That institution will grind to a halt right. or will even crash because the leader will make decisions that will derail the future of the organization. And talking about wisdom, wisdom will teach you that wisdom doesn't reside in one person's head. So wisdom will teach the leader to be consultative because that is why institutions put together a board. In the, in, in the corporate world, we, I, we, I did an exercise with my new leadership team. We had the re retreat before the handing over. And I asked each of us, we are four, each of us, how many years we've done in ministry. And it's up to 110. So currently, the executive presbytery officers of Assembly of Ghana, we are bringing 110 years of experience on board. Cumulatively. Cumulatively. Now, so if so... God has surrounded me with, some of them are older than me in age. Some of them began ministry before. So God has wisely surrounded me with these men so that if only I will consult, I will confer with them, they will all bring their experience and wisdom to bear. So a corporate institution, the leader who doesn't um, value wisdom, you will grant the organization to a halt. In the home, we see an example of Nabal, the husband of Abigail, yeah. uh, he, he, he was stupid. He took the, the wise spouse to intervene or else David would have killed him. So you can imagine how many husbands who, because of lack of wisdom, have, have, have gotten the destiny of their family executed. I mean, they've, they've destroyed the destiny of their families. So wisdom is key at every, in every area of our human endeavor. Let me reference a seminal point in the life of a leader in the Bible mm -hmm. where a, a major decision had to be made and on the plate were two choices. That's Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. Twelve tribes, ten versus two. And a choice to either increase taxes or moderate the pain of the people at a critical point in their time. As a pastor, a minister and a leader, looking at the play of thoughts between the elderly and the young, what big lesson do you do you see in that? Good. Um, it's always important that the, you see, the younger generation, because of the energy, we have speed. And because we have the advantage of modernity and sometimes better education and exposure, it is easy for you to feel that the older folks are archaic. It's easy to want to write off their wisdom and experience. But that would be tragic. Mm. I believe that the younger generation should build a bridge with the older folks, reach out to them, listen to them. Of course, everything they say will not 
<laughs> I will not um, inure to your benefit. Again, wisdom will help you to decipher between what is relevant for you and what is not relevant for you. So I would say that we should not throw away the wisdom of the elderly. Mm. Um, the young people have vision, but the older folks have wisdom. They've trod that path before. And don't only pick wisdom from one person. The Bible says that by two or three witnesses, something is established. When I come to a crossroad, what I do is that I prefer consulting with two, three people. Most of the time, um, the one that will help you or be coming from God, you'll find majority of the people you are consulting, they will seem to be talking um, towards a particular direction. And that will give you a signal that it is safe because Bible says in a multitude of counsel, there is safety. Let's talk about sacrifice. Let's talk mm. about the spirit of service. Mm. You've, you've, you've touched on it in servant leadership. Mm. But how much sacrifice does a leader have to carry for the sake of those that he or she serves? Yes, um, sacrifice is key. In the life of David, this is a man who was prepared to sacrifice his life to the extent that in First Samuel 30, they had gone to, the Amalekites had invaded their community. He led his team to go and fight and retrieve all that they lost. When they came back, um, those who didn't join them for battle, those who went to fight said that they wouldn't share the booty with the um those who didn't go with them for battle. And David said, no, we, we are one. So those who went to fight the battle, let's share the goodies with those who are not part of it. Sacrifice is key. And I'm sharing this to let the public know that majority of the pastors are modest. Majority of the pastors are sacrificing. It's only a few who are loud, who are throwing their wealth around and making people feel that all of us are milking the ordinary uh, um, members. 2017, um, my wife and I had saved money to build our dream house. After 10 years of working hard, we got a land, got the designs ready, and then we were supposed to go and purchase a land where our church is located. I mean, you know, easily gone how much land costs. I can't mention the figure on earth. Huge amount. Then the Lord said, stop your personal building project and put that money into the purchase of the land. I will take care of your future. I will build your house. Seven months I struggled until the Lord gave me a miracle that broke me, my wife and I, and we knew that indeed God wanted us to make that sacrifice. As soon as we gave out that money plus that year's appreciation, and it was announced in church, members sold their properties and then invested in the project. And for five years continues. We had to sacrifice our appreciation for the construction of the temple. So leadership is about sacrifice. If I had not done that, the members wouldn't have been inspired and motivated to also sacrifice their personal properties for us to be able to achieve the vision. So sacrifice is key. You have to sacrifice your time, your comfort, your future, your resources, and everything to be to, to be able to make an impact as a leader. Would you tie this to the concept of leadership by example? Yeah. Attitude is caught. You see, every organization, and I'm, I'm a believer in that principle, that the personal culture of the leader is what drives the organization. If you go to an organization where the people are sacrificial, whatever value that is dominant is likely to be the dominant value of the leader. So people watch you, the leader, um, what you do, and that is what they will copy. If you come to office late, if you are sluggish, if you are grabbing left and right, it's likely, very likely, that the followers in that home or the organization will also do the same. So whatever you do, people, people will probably watch and do more of what you do than what you see. Perfect. And that's a big lesson for leaders. Let me move on to a couple of things more that I would like to touch on. And obviously, we can't talk about leadership without communication. How key is communication to the leader? Yeah, your, your, your book, Speak Like a Pro, was a blessing. I mean, I've read it over and over again. Communication is very, very important. If you look at one of the reasons why 
the elders of David recommended David to Saul um, to be appointed as, I mean, to work in the palace because David was prudent in speech. Mm. Um, communication is key because the leader, must, you must communicate your vision. And therefore, uh, and in communication, we have, um, you know, we have nonverbal communication and then verbal communication. And uh, a successful leader, must, you must develop the, your, your, your skill of communicating, uh, knowing what to say at what time, um, knowing what to communicate. All of this is very important. Um, people listen to you when uh, you communicate well. So you can have the best of intentions, but let's say if your language is poor, if you can construct your sentences well, if um, even the tone with which you communicate, all of it. And I gave example at the seminar that um, I normally draw pastors' attention. When pastors are even reading speeches, it's like they are preaching. Uh-huh. And, and when they are even reading the scriptures, the foundation scripture, you know, if you sound as if you are preaching, sometimes the people don't even get the import of the of the story. Where do those antecedents come from? Is it from a certain perception that the the, the fierce you see the thing, the more powerful it is? Is, is, is that the, is that the thinking that we've grown up with? Yes, I, I've been imagining how Jesus in his days. I've, I've been I, 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 well, I've not had any, any literature that tells how Jesus communicated. Of course. They didn't have um, fear system. system. So, I, obviously, I can foresee him screaming. But this uh, perception that the sermon is powerful when you scream, when you have a deep voice, I think has misled, especially with Pentecostal charismatics for a long time. But I think that that mindset is changing. We've had powerful preachers in, in our time and dispensation who didn't sound like that. But communicate so well. So that narrative is changing. I think we're all beginning to realize that is the is the substance of the message, is the anointing because you can scream if you're if there's no anointing back in the message, you you make an impact. And it depends on your audience and the subject you are going to communicate. Let me let me end this conversation and 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 I and I, I speak with great pride for the Assemblies of God Church in Ghana that God has found you fit to hold the role of general superintendent overseeing a 91-year-old church yeah. with, with, with branches all over the country. Mm. Let me end by talking about the people that you serve and let's say love and compassion. How does that sit in the construct of the leader, the people that you serve? For example, in our church, we began from the north, Yendi. I think that probably we are the only Pentecostal charismatic church which started from a very deprived part of our country. A lot of our churches are in the rural areas, and our, a lot of our pastors are really not having it easy. And that's why I always say that those who think pastors are rich, pastors are making money, you wait until you travel to the rural areas and see a lot of them who are working very, very hard, who are, who are sincere, working. Some of them earn 50 cities a month. Can you imagine? Why for three kids, some 200 cities, and they are doing it with joy. So for me, um, if you are leading an organization like this, then this um, virtue of compassion Empathy, sympathy is very, very important because if you are going to help them to achieve their vision, if if you are going to be able to impact them, you need that compassion. And Acts ten thirty eight, I don't know why we always read the scripture and we focus on Jesus's ministry. Um, uh, only on the miracles. The Bible says, and how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power. Went about healing the sick, raising the dead, and went about doing good. Right. We don't avert our minds to that part of it. So, um, the compassion is very important, and the followers would never forget a leader who was compassionate. You may not even build infrastructure. You may not, um, yeah, do any of those much, but they will remember you because you touch their soul. 
they felt you were sympathetic, you were empathetic, you, you, you showed them empathy, you, you sacrificed your comfort for their gain, and they'll remember you for good. I would like to personally tell you what touched me the most about the 50th birthday celebration, and uh, I was very honored to be there, and that was the building of a church at Gosu for the community, the leading the effort to personally invest in building a beautiful church building for a community that is not is probably several hundreds of kilometers away from Accra. That was a very, very beautiful project, and I loved the pictures when I saw it. Mm-hmm. What do you hope to leave as your legacy by the time you you complete your tenure as general superintendent of the church? Thank you very much. Um, by the time I'm done, I want to be remembered for being a leader who led the church to develop every facet of our church life. I realized that in leadership, the temptation and the tendency to focus on specific areas is, is, is high. If you look at our church history, not only Assemblies of God, um, in the in the 50s and 60s, we equated poverty to holiness. Then in the late 70s, entering to the 80s, the Lord began to open our eyes and we saw that there is nothing righteous about poverty. So the church began to realize that there was a need for us to empower ourselves to be prosperous because the wheels of the gospel is money. Then we swing to another extreme. Then we began to overemphasize prosperity. So I realized that the challenge of the church is that we, we are not able to maintain a balance. We are always swinging to one extreme end or the other. So for me, I want to leave behind a very strong church organization that is strong in terms of organizational structure, running the church professionally, um, and then meeting the 21st century needs of our community, and then also paying serious attention to our spiritual development. If the church will survive the next 100 years, we cannot be a, have a lopsided uh, uh, um, institution where, like I said, only one side. So my vision paper is Christian, the transformation agenda. We want to touch every facet of our church life. I, I just noted the father, you said my vision paper, and that's one of your four core values anyway. <laughs> so someone described the church as an organism and an organization. That that's means right. that we cannot afford to ignore any part. So you are saying that you will build the organization, that is the structures, the governance, mm-hmm. the professionalism, and at the same time pay attention to the organism, that is the spiritual side of things. Remember, Dr. Wengam, this has been a very beautiful conversation. Now, I'll let you go on, on only one one condition that you promised to come back. It's an honor. I mean, amazing. I, I follow this program a lot, and it, it never, I, I didn't anticipate that quite so soon I'll be honored and privileged because if I look at the caliber of people whom you host, um, I never thought, <laughs> and, and, and I really mean that. I, so, so, so thank you very much. I will avail myself anytime need be. Once you promise you come again, let me tell you the 15 lessons we've shared today for the benefit of anyone who's driving who says, I just entered my car. The first has been the name Yenusom, which means God's help, and God is your helper. So choosing names for your children is very important. Choose wisely because it says the name has actually impacted his life all the way through the 50 years of his life so far. The second is about David being a, a great role model as a leader because of the challenges he had to surmount and the fact that he navigated all of them and handed over to a successor. The third is about leadership. He starts by telling a brutal story about losing all his three siblings and how through all that, God placed him in leadership right from his childhood at various times. The fourth lesson is about values. He says integrity is number one, ethics number two, interpersonal religion is number three, and the fourth is about vision. He says these are the foundational values that undergird his life. The fifth is about ministry right from his birth and his christening. The prayer suggested that this man would be a pastor. i tell you something. So when I was getting married, okay, the pastor was praying and he said, though your beginning was small, Job 8-7, your latter end will greatly increase. I opened my eye. 
I mean, when it's a very emotional, <laughs> nice, nice, but that I, I was so broke that I opened my eye and wow. I said, Amen. Wow. <laughs> and guess what? Mm-hmm. God has shown me the power of that prayer. So you are, you are right about the mm-hmm. prayer at your christening, giving an indication. Prayers are not just formalities. They are very powerful. You are right about that. So the prayer suggested that you be a pastor and you started preaching at age six to your colleagues and then you went on to become SU president and school prefect at the school. And, and then I love the part about Reverend Amponsa and writing down his sermons for him and learning how to preach. The six about adversity. The fact that losing your siblings became a reference point for people to brand the family, brand him, and the fact that once he also had to trust God for 14 years, along with his wife Monica, for a child, it became a confirmation to some people about the fact that there was something to be looked at. That tells about how sometimes as a society we, uh, we lack compassion. Mm. The, the seventh point is about his own pain making him a more compassionate leader. And that reflecting in the amount of investment in pastors in distress and also spouses of pastors investing in them and then widows as well. The eighth point is about destiny, something that many of you would love. He says that your tough battles are probably an indication of how high God is taking you. So instead of giving up, fall on others who have gone through the same thing and be strengthened by their example. Number nine is about servant leadership, serving others and not accruing power. And he says, it's anchored on things like humility, teachability, caring, flexibility, and trust. He says, once the trust is broken, you are, you are finished. That's right. Sounds very scary. Yeah. Number 10 is about wisdom. He says, it's the principal thing. Reverend Donto said to him, listen, don't pray for anointing. Pray for wisdom. Because the five virgins, the foolish ones, they had power but no wisdom. And he says, when a leader has power and no wisdom, they will lead the organization into distress. Number 11 is about balance. He says the younger generation have vision, they have speed, technology, and, and in some instances, higher education. But the older generation has wisdom and experience. Blend the two. On sacrifice, he says that once he personally sacrificed his pastoral appreciation, um, gift for five years non-stop and his own life savings to invest in the church, the church rose up and showed that they could also match him and do it. And that's about leadership by example. The 13 point is on the, this leadership by example. You see the culture of the organization is derived from the leader. If you don't beat yourself, forget it. They will never do it. And that is very, very key. The 14th is about communication. You, you can have the very best of intentions, but if you don't communicate them well, you could have very, very serious backlash. The final point is about love, compassion, empathy, caring. He says he leads an organization that started from very deprived communities with pastors sacrificing so much to do the work of the Lord. He says he wants to lead this organization so well that by the time he finishes his tenure, it would be organizationally sound, professionally run, and yet still very alive spiritually, and that would be your legacy mm-hmm. to the assemblies of God Church. So, I want to thank you very much for coming and look forward to having you again in another big conversation. I will be tracking as you go along and praying with you that God will mm-hmm. use you to bless the church of the Lord, especially the assemblies of God Church. So, I accept our congratulations once again for your appointment and our best wishes for your success. Sir. Thank you very much. I'm grateful. All be a closing to us as you go. Um, God will not do by miracle what you must do by responsibility, by simple obedience, and by common sense. Mm. Please say it again. God will not do by responsibility. God will not do by miracle what you must do by common sense, by simple obedience, and by responsibility. God created man and deposited in us everything we need. He has whatever you need to become all that you should be is around you. It's your responsibility to discover them, deploy them, and then grow yourself to a place of maturity. I, I love this conclusion, but I'll still ask you to pray. <laughs> I don't often do that, but, but once I have a pastor on the shoe, okay. let's end with a, a, a short prayer for that person who's trusting God. They are doing the hard work you talk about, and, and they're also trusting God. And I'm going to say, so when you tell somebody that is by grace, and the person says, hey, what are you saying? Me that I've served God for 18 years in a department, and I don't have a job, 
where, where do you find the so just for the benefit of somebody listening and seeing wow i love this mm. but god must help me like he has helped pastor wengam just take a minute to see a prayer for somebody who's trusting god right heavenly father we thank you for this platform that you are using to touch many many lives i pray for uh, our listeners and viewers wherever they are that brother that sister going through distress Lord, I have been through some, and your grace and your mercy help me. Mm. Lord, come through for them. Amen. Intervene for them powerfully. And I decree a testimony and a miracle in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Dr. Wengam. Let's do this again. And my warmest regards to Lady Monica. Oh, I'm grateful. And also to Lady Comfort Okran. She's a wonderful woman. I follow her too. Thank you. <laughs> so this has been a leadership conversation exploring the life, the journey, and the principles of Dr. Stephen Yenison Wengam. And Yenison means God's help. And may the God who has helped him help you too as you navigate your journey. So we come your way again next week. This is Springboard of Virtual University. My name is Albert Okran. Thanking you on behalf of the Springboard Racial Foundation and our partners, MTN Pulse, the Enterprise Group, UMB Bank, Central University, and our media. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.